All right, I guess we got all the paraphernalia ready here. Genesis chapter 9 this morning. There are a few people in the world who have not experienced the power of the storm. Booming thunder, the flashing of lightning, raging winds, torrential downpours. We've all witnessed the devastation of many different kinds of, uh, of storms through life. And we also have observed the, the beauty of a rainbow at the end of the storm. The glorious rays of the sun reflect just right on the vapor of the ending, ending storm and in a great display of God's glory and grace to us. But sadly, today there are also a few people that truly understand the history and the meaning of that event. Although powerful storms may be frightening and cause great damage, they are a reminder of the great flood and they, that uh, destroyed the whole world. That there is a God in heaven who is the judge of man, who does judge man's sin. And the rainbow is a reminder to that judge and to his people that he will keep his promise never to destroy the world again by that means. This promise was first disclosed in the Lord's soliloquy at the end of chapter 8 of Genesis. And there he said, despite man's inability to do right, he would not again destroy the world. A regular order of nature was set up uh, that would prevent uh, any irregularities such as a flood around the whole world from occurring. And uh, the Lord established that that would continue until the end of time. Now, the Lord established a covenant with Noah, and that's what chapter 9 is all about, that would ensure man's rebellion would be held in check, that God would not have to destroy the whole world all over again. And that covenant still holds true for us today, though our world is still full of much wickedness. Because of the Lord's directives, the world will not be as bad as it could be, and there will always be a faithful remnant who will remain to serve him. Now, as Noah emerges with his family from the ark, he becomes the new Adam in a new world. The language of this chapter reminds us of God's initial blessing and uh, decrees to the first Adam back in the first few chapters of Genesis. God's directives to Noah guarantee that he will survive and the promised seed of a deliverer will be fulfilled. They include his provision for life and his protection for life and his promise to preserve life in the new world order. The Lord continues to uphold that promise today. And in his mercy and grace, he provides for us, he protects us, he preserves us. Really, uh, in general, he does that for the whole world, whether people recognize it or not. But especially, he does this for his own in an everlasting way. So let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're again thankful that you have explained our origins where we came from, and what happened in the beginning of the world. 
that you enlighten us about the sinfulness of humanity, even from the first pages of the Bible, and the need for them to be redeemed. And Lord, we're thankful that even though things got so bad, the whole world had to be destroyed, you still preserved one family. And in that preservation, you preserved us and all the people that are in the world today. We also realize, Lord, that the promise of the seed given to the woman of a great deliverer was also preserved through the ark. Lord, we thank you that you have vowed, that you have pledged that this kind of destruction would not happen again. Lord, we are thoughtful of many in our world today who proclaim that somehow we're going to destroy the world. But Lord, we know that's not possible. So help us, Lord, to trust your promises, your word, what you say is going to happen, and uh, Lord, not to fear what man may say to us. And help us, Lord, to be thankful that uh, your covenant has been given to all humanity, and that especially, Lord, it's relevant to us today as your people. Bless us with your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. The first thing I want to draw to your attention here as far as God's directives in this new world order is in the first few verses, God's provision of life in a new world order. And you'll note here as we read through this passage that the name God is exclusive. And that is the same as the Genesis account in chapter 1 of creation. Uh, uses the name of God exclusively. And the reason being is that God is not only making a covenant with Noah, he's making a covenant with all creatures in this passage. And he's the all-powerful creator, the all-powerful God who brought all these things into existence, and he's promising to keep them in existence over time. And so he reveals himself in this way to the new creation its first family, as they embark on their journey in a new world. And God's provision is disclosed uh, through his blessing on this family in three ways. So let's look at it in these first few verses. First of all, we have the blessing of procreation, chapter uh, 9, verse 1, also repeated in verse 7. And this is the third time God uh, has sent a blessing of this nature to his creative people. It it repeats the original blessing bestowed on the first human couple in chapter 1, verse 28. And then the author also cites it at the uh, beginning of the genealogy of Adam in chapter 5 and verse 2. Now the Lord gives to Noah and his sons the same words of blessing, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And the paragraph closes with the same thought in verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. And it's interesting there that the term uh, bring forth abundantly means uh, teeming or uh, swarming. And usually it's not Uh, used of human beings, but of the animal kingdom. But here, this is the only time we find it. And God is what is really kind of blessing 
the race to grow exponentially from this point. Now, this blessing of procreation still applies to us in our day. God blesses families, and he blesses them with children. Many nations try to limit families today. In China, you're only supposed to have one child. In India, a large family is frowned upon. Most Indian families only have one or two children. And we fear overpopulation. We fear not being able to take care of the children we bring into the world. Uh, But God's will is that we have families headed by a man and a woman brought together in holy matrimony and that they will be blessed with children. And every family that has a child is blessed of God. In Psalm 127, uh, we're told there that the children who sit around your table are a blessing. They're your heritage. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So God blesses families uh, in the nuclear family that we're familiar with in the word of God. And one of his blessings to them is their children. And the the best families and the most blessed families are going to be those who raise those children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. They're going to be blessed because they're fulfilling God's purpose in the world and fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given them for a home. So this blessing continues to the, the day in which we live. Then we have the blessing of dominion in verses two and three. Now, this is expressed differently than when given originally to Adam. Adam was commanded to exercise dominion over the animal kingdom in the garden. And this implied a, a perhaps a willful submission on the part of that animal kingdom. But the fall changed everything. The curse fell upon the ground. The curse fell upon the animal kingdom as well as upon mankind. Uh, which may have involved the removal of that natural submission. And it would not be far-fetched that even before the flood occurred, that animals, wild animals, became vicious. They were not fearful of mankind. They may have been used by warriors to subdue others, such as uh, horses in battle. And some of them may have become man-eaters. And so it could be that they contributed to the violence that was occurring before the flood. Now, if this lack of fear continued after the flood, you only have uh, four families that come off the ark. If the animal population uh, grows more quickly than human, we know that it does. They usually have more than one uh, offspring, So over a short period of time, the animal kingdom could explode. It takes much longer time for the human kingdom uh, to procreate. So there would be a great danger. So what does God do to prevent that from happening and to help man maintain his dominion? Well, he says, verse 2, And the fear of you... And the dread or the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. And we know that's true today. You go out in the woods and you see a wild animal. They're not going to come up to you. They're going to run away from you or they're going to hide. 
there's a natural fear now uh, in the animal kingdom. Incidentally, the Lord doesn't say cattle here, which uh, would refer to the domesticated animals that we are familiar with today. But the wild animals, uh, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, they have this natural uh, fear and dread of humanity, which helped um, Noah and his family and the early uh, um, offspring that came from them uh, to not have to worry about uh, the animal kingdom turning on them. And so they don't have that, that fear. Uh, they still have dominion. They still can move forward as God has promised. Now, God then provides uh, and aided mankind in his dominion by giving this directive and putting this into the lives of the animal kingdom. Now, we see a third blessing in verses um, 3 and 4. And here we have the blessing of a new source of provision, something that was not sanctioned by God before. In verse 3, the Lord says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herb. So now he adds to his original provision of the plant kingdom, which was given to Adam and Eve, and we would assume to all prior to the flood. Uh, He adds to that now that food can be obtained from the animal kingdom. Now again, this is the original directive. It was sufficient for Adam and Eve and uh, their offspring to get all the nutrition they needed from plant life. God now sanctions this new source of sustenance. And this may have been because it would take some time for plant life to reproduce, of course, much more quickly than others, and to thrive again on the earth. It likely was not going to be as plentiful right away. And it also may not have been as nutritional as in the original earth because of the changes upon the the earth and the atmosphere, things of that nature. And so now God adds this as a a food supply. Uh, We don't know if if this occurred before the flood. I wouldn't uh, be surprised that in man's rebellion, as time moved forward, that uh, uh, the Canaanites did not at some time begin to eat meat. We're not given that information. But whatever happened uh, previously, God now authorizes and sanctions the usage of uh, meat for a human food supply. Now, there is one important condition, though, as God makes this allowance. And in verse 4, he says... But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now the blood is sacred because it is the source of physical life. If you don't have blood in your veins, you're not going to be alive. The blood must be poured out. The animal must not be eaten raw. It's not like, uh, you know, the beasts of the field that may feed upon other animals and they just uh, tear it apart and consume it. That's not to be the case with men. Uh, The blood is also sacred because it is offered on the altar for the remission of sin. 
So the lifeblood of the sacrificial animal replaces the lifeblood of the guilty sinner. So even in regard to lower life forms, God expected man to respect the sanctity of life represented in the blood. The Lord blessed this new family and the new world by providing for them in these different ways, and he still does so for humanity today. As the psalmist says, the eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you gave them their food in due season. You opened your hand and satisfied the desire of every living thing. God provided for Noah and his family, and he's provided uh, for human beings since that period of time, and it continues and will continue. Now, we come to the next section here. The next directive has to do with God's protection of life in a new world. And we find this in the next uh, three verses, five through seven. God now puts in place a requirement associated with the blood. Verse five says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the land of every beast, or from the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. So if a beast or man takes the life of another human being, there's going to be a requirement for that. God sets up the requirement. Now prior to the flood, there were no God-given rules to direct humanity. Civilization developed on its own. When Cain killed Abel, you remember that when God gave him the judgment, that Cain feared that, and he feared human vengeance would be taken against him, that someone might come and kill him. Now, God prevented that from happening uh, by setting his mark on Cain. And he forewarned anyone who might try to take Cain's life with a direct vengeance from God. So that mark prevented anyone from taking Cain's life. But by the day of Lamech, things had begun to develop in a wrong direction. And this directive was mocked by Lamech. And men were taking vengeance into their own hands and being proud of it. And by the time of Noah, violence, the shedding of blood, were, were uh, just uh, a commonplace. So God's uh, vengeance was finally fallen upon man in the flood. And now in this new order, this new creation, there has to be some means of preventing man from rebelling like he had before and just uh, uh, taking the life of another person with hardly even thinking about it. And so God is saying now there's going to be a requirement, a stipulation placed upon both animal and human who may take the life of another human being. God says he will require a reckoning when man's blood is shed, and this will help protect human life in the new world. Now, the word here uh, is a judicial term, the word to reckon, and that demands an exact accounting for an action. And we call it uh, lex 
talionis, the law of reckoning or retribution. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And this will uh, be further developed as uh, time moves forward and God gives his law to Moses. And no longer is man going to be able to slay somebody and get away with it and brag about it. No longer will he be able to avenge his own hurts with no reckoning. God is beginning to develop a societal prevention of this kind of thing. He says he's going to require this from every man's brother. Now, this harkens back to the narrative of Cain and Abel again. The Lord comes to him and he asks Cain, where's your brother? What did Cain respond? What was his answer? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are. Now it's very clear in the word of God that that is the case. This directive is given to Noah and his sons. Of course, they're the only ones alive at this point in time. His sons are brothers. There's that brotherly relationship. But in a larger sense, it's a direction, uh, directive to the interconnectedness of uh, the human race. Every human being traces back their roots to these families. And so that really makes us brothers and sisters, does it not? There's only one race, that's the human race. We're all connected to each other, and we, have, we do not have the right to take the life of anybody. And we're accountable for how we treat the members of the race. Now, how is this requirement of God going to be carried out? Well, he gives the responsibility to man in verse 6. Whosoever sheds man's blood... By man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. So now man has a responsibility uh, to prevent this kind of activity in the future. God's no longer going to be involved in direct acts of judgment like uh, the worldwide flood. Uh, But he's going to use people as his agents for doing right and keeping the law, so to speak. Full responsibility is given to mankind to avenge the murderer. If you rise up and you shed the blood of another human being, then society, humanity, has the right to take your life because of what you've done. And that supports and protects the sanctity of human life. And here we have, in seed form, the foundation of government and society, of man governing man. Uh, Humanity has this responsibility to make laws that protect life and uh, property, and all people groups are responsible to do this, as we see the development of nations in chapter 10, and as uh, uh, God's... uh, Revelation continues down the road. He's going to give his law to Israel. And the laws given to Israel are really going to become the foundation of many legal systems of other nations in the future, including our own. Now, not every nation, 
but even in some other nations, uh, there were codes of ethics, codes uh, expected of people, how they're to live, and there were punishments for breaking those laws. So God sanctioned this uh, from the days of Noah. And one of the primary reasons is in the last half of the verse, for in the image of God, he made man. Now, Almighty God created life, gave life, so he's sovereign over life. And no human being has been given the right to usurp that sovereignty outside of what God is saying here. And because he created man in his own image and in his likeness in many ways, when you assault a person, are you not assaulting God himself? Because he made you in his image. So an assault on a person is an assault on God, even though we're marred by the fall. So we don't have the right to kill someone. We don't have the right to kill ourselves. We don't have the right to kill our elderly. We don't have the right to kill our unborn. We do not have the right to take vengeance on someone, even though we may think it is just and right. We have a system of laws and a system of courts that helps us uh, do the right thing. And of course, I know as well as you do that anything that humanity controls will become corrupt. We can't help that. It's going to happen. But of all the nations in the world, we've got the best legal system. Uh, It's going to pot, but at least we have these laws and we have uh, some form of government that prevents uh, crime from taking over everything. So God has sanctioned government and society to exercise execution upon the guilty, whatever the law demands. And incidentally, it's not murder when a system of law convicts a person and sentences that person to death. They're acting on the part of God and of their society to exact the strictest penalty for the most heinous of crimes. And in this way, the governed are protected. Now, a nation that refuses to protect its citizens, well, they're going to go along the way of many nations that are now residing in the dust. And of course, God is not going to bless them. So in all these ways, God is protecting society and he's giving this protection now into the hands of man and they're responsible that uh, for a person who takes the life of another they will be rendered the same judgment now the last thing we find here is God's preservation of life in the new world order and that is through the blessing of his covenant in verses 8 through 17 And we have, first of all, the promissory covenant of this preservation in verses 8 through 11. God establishes this covenant uh, with Noah. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my a covenant with you. 
All right, so God is the one who is setting up this covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement usually between two parties, sometimes one uh, greater than the other, sometimes of equal parties. But this covenant is an unconditional covenant. This covenant is based upon the promise of God. The Lord states here what he is going to do, and he places no stipulations upon humanity as to what they're supposed to do. God's responsible for keeping the terms of his promise. And he establishes his covenant with Noah, with uh, his sons and his descendants. And incidentally, the term descendant there is seed. So he is pro- he's providing the promise of the seed given in Genesis 3.15 in this covenant. And then all the creatures that were on the uh, ark with, with uh, Noah. So it's not just with Noah alone. It's with all of humanity that existed then and all humanity that will exist in the future. Everyone is within this promise, which is still in effect today. Now, what does God promise here? Verse 11. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So he promises that humanity will not be destroyed directly by God by the means of water. And from the promise that he mentioned back in the end of chapter 8, it's not going to be destroyed by mankind either. So all this stuff that goes on, uh, it it seems to go through cycles, uh, uh, climate change, nuclear winter, uh, uh, atomic holocaust, none of it's going to happen. It's just man's way of scaring man, I guess. But God says that these things are going to remain, they're going to be established, and the world is not going to be destroyed again by a flood. And man's not going to be the one who destroys it at any rate. All right. Now, this is not to say that there will never be a localized flood. We've seen that uh, many times, and it can cause great damage and even uh, take a life, but it's nothing at all in comparison to the flood that destroyed the world uh, in, this, uh, in, in the Genesis account. And incidentally, when you think about it, there are those who say that the flood wasn't worldwide, it was localized to the Fertile Crescent, where humanity was supposed to be populated at that time. But if that was the case, if that was a localized flood, then God's word here could not be true because he said he would never flood the world again. So that's really kind of against that particular um, argument because God can't lie. Now, uh, as we move forward here, let's look at the perpetual reminder of his promise beginning in verse 12. To confirm his covenant, God is going to give a sign. This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. In other words, this is going to move forward through all of time. It's interesting that the, the term sign here is translated mark when you go back to 
the narrative of Cain. God set his mark on Cain. God set a sign on Cain. Same word. And what it is, is a visible reminder of God's word or God's promise. Now note that it is for perpetual generations and uh, the sign is really kind of made possible now by the new climate and the changing weather patterns. And down to verse 16, it's also called an everlasting covenant, indicating that it's going to prevail until uh, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So again, God's promise is as long as the current world is going to last, and only he knows when that's going to end. Now, what is the Lord's sign? Well, it's the bow in the sky, the rainbow. And the exact term is the term bow. And usually in the Bible, when you run across that term, it is a weapon or a, um, uh, an implement used for hunting. And if you think of it in that sense, uh, God drew his bow as a warrior when he destroyed the world by the flood. That was his method of wiping out mankind. And uh, the bow has now been emptied. It's not going to be filled again in that way. So it signifies a finished work. And now he has a new sign that is the rainbow, and we know that's what it means here, that indicates that whenever Noah and his family saw a new storm, they didn't have to fear that it was going to destroy the world like the previous one God brought them through. The thunder, the lightning, the dark clouds, those will all be reminders of the judgment of God. But as soon as the storm passes, God's bow will be seen in the vapors of the cloud as a reminder of his covenant. God calls this my bow, And it will remind him of his covenant. And remember that when this term is used of the Lord, it doesn't mean he forgot. It doesn't mean he's, well, just uh, recalling to mind, oh yeah. Uh, What it indicates to us is that God keeps his word, that he's faithful to his promises. And so he's remembering the word that he has said, and he's confirming it every time that bow Uh, is developed in the sky after a storm. So the Lord continues to fulfill his word. This is a perpetual sign to that effect. But the sign is also one of remembrance to his people because we're the ones that see it as well. And it's an encouragement to us who are believers in Christ. As I mentioned earlier, it's a sad truth that so few people in the world, which now is nearly 8 billion, uh, see a rainbow and understand its history, and they can explain why it occurs scientifically in the sky, but they don't know uh, how it all started. You know, how many people believe in the one true God? How many people have his word available to them? How many people understand the violent nature of humanity that had to be judged in the first place. 
Or how many people believe that there was a worldwide flood that destroyed the world? Uh, Our scientists today try to explain uh, what's before their very eyes in all kinds of of ways, evolutionary theory, uh, and all these things actually prove that there was a flood. And yet we don't believe and we don't understand uh, these types of things. But we who do believe God's record, every time we see that bow in the sky, it reminds us of God's grace and God's glory. His grace and the promise to never wipe out the human race by that means again. His grace in preserving that promised seed uh, through Noah and then his son Shem, and then, of course, moving right on up to Christ, who became the provision of our atonement. It's also a display of God's glory as uh, the rays of sunlight penetrate through the clouds and uh, the storm is ending. Each time we observe the beauty of the rainbow, it should cause us to praise the Lord for his glory and his grace. So this morning, as we think about this passage that's given to all humanity, but especially understood by his people, Let's draw some some thoughts here. First of all, are we thankful for God's daily provision? Not just in the material sense, but all these provided for us spiritually through the Lord Jesus Christ. As God preserved Noah's family in that new world, he preserved all the blessings that we have in that promised seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, are we thankful for God's protection in this world? Yes, uh, human governments are corrupt. They're never going to be perfect. They will ultimately fail to give out justice uh, 100% of the time. But through them, God has kept the world from being as corrupt as it could be, as bad as it could be. And much good is being done in the world through his church because The Lord says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we are the the light of the world, the little lights of the world, and we are the, uh, the salt of the earth. So through his remnant, he also is making this world a safer place than it could be. Then we see uh, the coming storm. No matter how fierce it might be, No matter how powerful, no matter how destructive, we need not fear because it serves to remind us and God that he will preserve us through it. We see some pretty bad storms uh, in the world today, but again, it's only one small portion, not the whole world. And we're also reminded that another new world is coming a world in which Christ shall reign, and because of that, righteousness will truly reign. And we can look forward to that each and every day. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the revelation of your word. We're thankful, Lord, that although you had to destroy humanity once, you promised that you would not do it again. And you've held true to that promise, Lord, for thousands of years. Even though uh, our world is ravaged by, by storms, 
and uh, calamities of nature. Lord, you've not allowed any of it to affect nearly the whole of the world. And we're thankful, Lord, for that protection that you've provided. We're thankful, Lord, today uh, that there is government. We don't uh, always agree with what it does, but we do have the, uh, the safety that's provided, and uh, we, we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, you help us to be a people who fear you above government. And Lord, we're thankful today for all of your provision, all you've done to uh, keep us alive physically, but Lord, most importantly, uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us eternal life, no matter what may be going on in this world. So Lord, bless us uh, and encourage us with these thoughts today, we ask in Jesus' name.